0: You know, the, the, one of the sad things about ministry is, is you have to do funerals. But when, whatever funeral I'm, I'm at, I always look for the pictures. Do you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking to see the person when they were young. And invariably, they are always beautiful and always handsome. And I think, that's how God intended it. Isn't that wonderful? God wants that for all of us. He wants us to live with him forever. And that's really what the whole Advent message and movement is about. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as uh, we pray. God is a mighty God, amen? And he has promised to deliver his people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh how we love to call you daddy. And dear Lord, as Jesus called you Abba. Daddy, we know that you have the deepest and most tender love for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for everyone that is here this morning. I thank you for friends, for family, for visitors, for guests, for all your people, for we are all your people. But Lord, we want to ask your special blessing as we go through this morning time together. Though it may be short, may it be sweet and may it be blessed by the unction of your Holy Spirit. And for these things we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, I love the story of the Exodus, and uh, I have been uh, meticulously going through the story with the children at KJA. In fact, I signed every single KJA student's copy of this little book called The Exodus. Kids, how many of you have started reading your Exodus book? Can I see your hands? Amen. One, two, three, four. I can see you all around at the back. And uh, I want you to read it, okay? This is the most amazing story that ever was. Um, But you know, some people don't think that it is the best story that ever was. I was just um, testing my clicker there. You know that... For the last 50 years, most of the world's important archaeologists and those that know about history have said that there is no evidence to support the Exodus story found in the Bible. No, no evidence. Can you imagine? Now, this um, picture that you see on on the slide there is Charlton Heston pe- pe- um, playing Moses, and uh, this was the movie, The Ten Commandments. How many of you remember seeing The Ten Commandments? You, you've seen it? I don't know how many times I've seen it. It was made um, Cecil B. DeMille's in uh, 1959. Can you imagine? That was even before I was born. Wow. And some of you were really young. And, um, but now people say that... Um, The evidence that we find in archaeology and history doesn't support what the Bible says. We find that scientists are coming along and saying we know better than what is written in the word of God. And in fact, you can't take the word of God seriously because us scientists, we know more. We've got hard evidence. We've got scientific evidence, you see. In fact, these people say that the archaeological record is completely... opposed to what is written in the Bible. Now this view of skepticism has spread from these knowledgeable people to the general populace, the general people in in the world. And the case against the Exodus appears to be so strong that even some religious people, people that say they believe in the Word of God and believe in the Bible, they are labeling the Exodus story as an ancient account of... um, historical and I quote fiction, historical fiction. So that in fact historical fiction is what I would call that movie that they made. Do you remember that movie? Today I want to share with you um, part 7 of this series. Now as you can see I'm working on this series, powerful series. If you haven't heard the previous messages, I encourage you to get them. Not because I've given them, but because they come from the word of God. God's word is powerful. And this story, God in his word has inspired Paul to write in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, the the importance of the story of the Exodus. It was written for our admonition. We we need to look at the story. It, It has lessons for us, lessons that we should not repeat. It has parallels that we need to understand. But friends, let's just come back to that question again. What is the Exodus story all about? What is it all about? Is it about, as um, Ridley Scott, the uh, director of Gladiator and of this movie, Exodus, God and Kings, is it all about men? Is the Exodus story about men and their power and their desire to be seen and worshipped as God? Is it really? I mean, this movie has been uh, labeled as the greatest movie of the biblical exodus. It was even greater than the, the Ten Commandments. You know, I, if you have the opportunity to watch an appraisal and an analysis of that movie, go to Amazing um, Discoveries, and you'll see Little Light Ministries. Who did I say? Little Light Ministries, watch out for them. They are very good on analyzing the messages that the media is trying to give to the people. And uh, this movie, after listening to that analysis, portrays God as a wimp. Um, Moses doesn't believe in God. Um, Miriam is kind of having strange relationships with people. And um, it is just what I would actually call blasphemous. Really, there's no other word. But what is the story all about? You know, I'd encourage you, if you haven't seen this movie that I shared with the the children at KJA, The Real Search for the Red Sea Crossing. Take a note of that. It's a powerful little video. You can order it online. Beautiful, beautiful video. Very, very inspiring. In fact, it's interesting because this Exodus movie came out last Christmas, um, kind of in 3D, December 26th. there was also another movie that was actually not a movie. It, it was a, a documentary. And that one I, I shared with you called Patterns of Evidence. And this, this is, is um, an amazing um, work of research. Twelve years in the researching this movie took. And, um, it, it's actually three, over three hours long. And basically, what it deals with is the evidence. You know, there, as I said earlier, there are archaeological, um, uh, experts that come along and say, there is simply no evidence of the Exodus. And they have their PhDs, they are um, curators at museums, they are professors at um, universities. And uh, at face value, we kind of um, see that they are making these statements that deny the story as it is written in the Word of God. And so what do you do? But then, on the other hand, there are archaeologists, some of them. Um, there was a, a famous one who is an Austrian, actually, and his name escapes me right now. But he's done fabulous research in excavating the Nile Delta now to excavate in the Nile you have to be able to hold back the waters and so it's very difficult and only recently in fact in the only in I would say the last 35 years are archaeologists uncovering true and fabulous and amazing finds that are corroborating the Exodus as it reads in the Bible the Exodus story and this one is a powerful documentary I tried to get to see it it was open um, uh, showing in in public cinemas in January, a second showing. But what a wonderful alternative to that other movie. It really is. So we have that question again. What is the Exodus really all about? Is it about men, as uh, Ridley Scott would have us believe? And you know Moses with his sword and leading the, the Israelites to, to fight. And uh, you know, just make a big movie about a big tidal wave. You know, Some people have this thing about tidal waves. And it was a great tidal wave, I hear them say. Or is this story about God? Is it really about God, my friends? Is it the most powerful story recorded in the word of God for time and eternity so that believers who would just simply take the word as it reads and open their Bible and see how God, first of all, had patience with his people, had patience with Pharaoh, but had mighty power to deliver in any situation, and in fact, to deliver in a situation that was scientifically impossible to solve. They had come to a scientific dead end. There was no human solution for the people of Israel whence they faced the Red Sea. But is this story then, my friends, about God and his desperate power that he wants to give to you in your life, Is it about a God who really wants to deliver you? To deliver you from your very own self. Because you cannot trust yourself. And I wonder how many people right now are are maybe texting or doing a video game. Even right now. Right now. I wonder. So is this story about God and his great mercy? His patience? His power to save? His power to save his people, no matter what, no matter how desperate, how impossible your situation may be. You know what this story tells me, it tells you, he can save you. Wow. I wonder how many of us really know the God of the Exodus. I wonder how many of us really know his miraculous delivering power. I would not stand up here before you if all of this were fairy tales. God has changed my life. He has helped me through every valley. Every single time when I was laid out on the floor, beaten up, defeated, ridiculed, stepped upon. God has lifted me up. The righteous may fall seven times, but they will rise up. And that is what we are destined for. We are destined to be recipients of God's greatest demonstration of delivering power. Amen. You see, if we really don't believe this, do you know what I'd say? I'd say don't bother coming to church. Yeah, simple as that. If we do not believe the Word of God as it reads, if we come to the Word of God and say, well, we can't believe this part, we can't believe that part, then don't bother. It's either all of it is true or none of it is true. So if we want to look at those only, the, the only two choices that we have, we need to decide, my friend, sitting in the pew today, listening to. the DVD where there you are you have to make a decision you have to listen to the claims that this word brings to you it says this word is the word of God now when we understand what that means we know that when God says something miracles happen when he said let there be light there was light all he needed to do was to say it and it happened instantaneously not over time not taking millions of years God's word is true the Exodus story is about God and about his power to save it's also about his mercy and his great patience And you know, let us just kind of move on a little bit. We we left off last time, last week. This was last week. I can't believe it was last week. I had part six, and now I'm I'm on part seven. So much has happened in between. I don't know about you, but we've packed so much. Um, Yeah, we've packed so much into last week. We have been packing so much. Did you get it? We've been packing so much because we're moving. And we have to keep on packing. And we need to pack as much as we can into our boxes so that we can get moved over as fast as we can. But getting to those plagues, those ten plagues, you, you notice I left off at the, the last one. and We want to take it up now as we continue our story. What was it with the ten plagues? It's interesting that there are ten, by the way. Just the thought. But what was the purpose of these ten plagues? Do you want to tell me? What, what was the purpose of ten? I mean, God could have, you know, gone straight to the, you know, uh, let's say the destruction of the firstborn, the death of the firstborn. He could have, you know, wham, gone right to it, cut to the chase. Let's do, it, let's do this quick. Why ten plagues? Pardon? Discredit their gods. Very good. Did you know that Moses was given, and, and I, I was up late last night reading this story again. And I tell you, the more, the more that we read this story, or any story of the Bible, the more God has to tell us about it. Isn't that great? And so I was reading it, and uh, I, I found out how many times God was telling um, Moses, Moses, you need to tell Pharaoh. You need to warn him. You need to tell him, let my son go. Let Israel go. And the, the purpose of the ten plagues is that Pharaoh would have a chance. That's really it, friends. Pharaoh would have a chance. Because if he would listen at the first plague and let um, God's people go, it would have been end of story. No more plagues. And uh, he wouldn't have had all of, all of the destruction of the crops, all of the destruction of the, of the cattle, all of the destruction of their, their water rev- reservoirs. And um, all of those things, it was really for God's, um, demonstrating God's mercy to Pharaoh. It was to persuade him. God was doing everything in his power to persuade Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go before too much damage would be done. Praise God. You see, before each plague, Pharaoh was informed. Pharaoh was warned of the nature of the plague and of the consequences so that the king might save himself and let God's people go. I mean, was that such a hard request? Really? I mean, let's, let's, think, let's think about this. Let me just tell you that Israel was 400 years. That's the children of Israel. Jacob, who had his name, changed into Israel because he fought with God. Those people, they were slaves for 400 years. It was actually prophesied. But do you know the reason why they were slaves for 400 years? Have a guess. Pardon? Pardon? They didn't turn to God. You're on the right track. They didn't obey God. Do you know in what specific area they didn't obey God? In marrying non-believers. That's the reason. They were 400 years slaves. Now, God prophesied all of this. And he said that he would lead them out at the end of those 400 years time, or 430, if you count the generation of uh, Joseph, say. And he, he said that after that time, you will come out, I will lead you out with mighty power. And it's amazing that God actually calls the children of Israel his son, the people, as a as a group. He says, That's my son. Look how how jealous God is for his son. I don't happen to have a son, but I have a firstborn. And that firstborn is precious. And God said to Pharaoh, Let my firstborn go, Pharaoh. It's my property, not yours. So we see, friends, that there is building up the great controversy story in the story of the Exodus. We see it is God has a people, He loves them, He wants them back. The devil has stolen God's people, He's trapped them, He's enslaved them. And Pharaoh is holding on. Now, what the battle is all about is who's the strongest? Who's. Uh, word is going to really be what counts. Is it God's word or is it Pharaoh's word? Now let me remind you again. This Pharaoh is Tutmosis the Now Tutmosis the I don't have the time, but later on, as I work on these sermons, I'll I'll show you. I showed you a picture last time, but remember it or watch it. Tutmosis the was the Napoleon, as I said last time, of the Pharaohs. That means that he was the most ferocious. He was the most vicious. He was the most military, um, militarily dangerous. And it was at this time that God chose to deliver his people. So this was the most stubborn Pharaoh. This was, there were other Pharaohs before him. And you remember, there, were, there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, and that's the Pharaoh that got them all into slavery. But that Pharaoh died, and another one after him died. And now this is Moses III. And he says, let my son go, Moses." Uh, pharaoh. And Moses is being told all of this. I just need to back up a little bit. Because Moses was hard to convince to do this job. Very, very hard to convince. He he wasn't going to take this lying down. He said, what if, what if, but I am, but I am. And God said, I am is sending you. The one that has created everything. The the, The creator of the universe is sending you. But let us just quickly go back to that episode where... Um, God says to Moses, "When you go um, to return into Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh." God was telling Moses, "Look, I've, I'm showing you the rod; it will turn into a serpent. I'm showing you power. I want to accompany you with this supernatural power. I want you to to use this power that I will use through that I will operate through you to convince Moses, convince him, to convince Pharaoh. I'm sorry, I'll get it right, to convince Pharaoh." And so, the Lord said to Moses, and um, let me just uh, put the brakes on there for a second. The Lord said to, Mer- to, to um, Moses, where did he speak to Moses? Where did God manifest himself to Moses and get his attention? That's right, you said it. The burning bush, and the burning bush was over in Midian, and that was the mount of God also called Mount Horeb and also called Mount Sinai. Don't miss that. Very, very important historical scientific evidence. Because when archeologists say there is no evidence, it could be, there's no evidence for the Exodus and all the whole story, it could be that they are looking in the wrong place. You see, when the Bible says that Moses went to Midian, it means that he meant he went to to Midian. Let's just back up a, a little bit on that point. You see can you see where Midian is there on the map? Egypt is over here. Here is here is Goshen, you can see it there. This is the Sinai peninsula and which is incorrectly named and there we have Midian. Now where is Midian on our modern maps today? Saudi Arabia do you know today to get into Saudi Arabia, you must have a special, special visa from the Saudi king? It's not anybody that can go in. So, to go in and research the areas that um, some people have found evidence, scientific, archaeological evidence, to show that there is where the Mount Sa- real Mount Sinai exists, it is very difficult and dangerous to go in there. But this is the place, this is where Jethro lived. You remember? Moses killed an an Egyptian, he fled because Pharaoh was going to kill him. Where did he flee to? The Bible says to Midian. Where does that, where does, um, where is Midian today? It's Saudi Arabia, in fact it's northwest Saudi Arabia. And it was a route that was frequently traveled across the Sinai Peninsula at the top of the Gulf of Akaba and down. That's the route that Moses took. So Jethro lived there. He was in Midian. The Bible says, Exodus chapter 2 15, that Midian, in fact, um, that uh, Jethro was a priest in the land of Midian, an important man. Now that was where God met with Moses, in Midian. Midian. Exodus 3 verse 1 says, It was the mount of God, and that he spoke with him out of the burning bush. And it's amazing because you see that Mount Sinai has got these three names. The Mount of God, Mount Horeb, and Mount Sinai. And I don't have time to go into it, but um, it's called Horeb in Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Psalms 106, and Malachi. Notice how the Bible is constantly repeating the story of the Exodus. It must be important. Especially important for God's people today as we face the soon coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you know, here is, here, is the, here is the clincher. Here is the one that really tips the balance and proves something so powerful that it's mind-blowing. When Moses was complaining with God at the burning bush time, in Exodus chapter 3, um, verse 12, God says, okay, Moses, look, I'm going to prove this to you. He's saying, I'm, I'll go with you with miracles. I will help you. But here's the real proof. You will go to Egypt and bring my people out And the proof that I will be with you, this is before he's gone, is that you're going to come and every one of them will come and worship me on this mountain. What mountain did he say? This mountain, which means Mount of God, Horeb, Sinai, same place. Which is where? Midian, Saudi Arabia. Not the Sinai Peninsula. That is where all the archaeologists are looking for evidence of... um, the exodus and the, the traveling of millions of people. Did you know that the, the, the rock that um, bled forth refreshing water for the whole multitude, millions of of people, of Israelites, uh, was over there in Midian, on Mount Sinai, Horeb. The rock that was struck was on Horeb. Amen? Scripture says so. So it's all over there. It's not here. Where it, look, it even says there, Mount Sinai. False. Mountain. No. In fact, if you look, if you go to an encyclopedia and you look up Mount Sinai, you will have there in an encyclopedia openly stated, there are 20 mountains that have been perpetrated and, and supposedly, um, you know, are being called Mount Sinai. So to say that this there in the middle there is Mount Sinai, dangerous. It's not in Midian. And in fact, God brought, brought the people out of Egypt. Here's another thing. Sinai Peninsula was still under the control of the Egyptians. They had mines there. They had their armies kind of all around there. This was their extended territory. If you look at a map of ancient Egypt, it will include the Sinai Peninsula. Go look it it up for yourself. This is very important. Because when, when scientists, archaeologists say, there's no evidence, you're looking in the wrong place. Now, when we go over that side, I don't have time to go into it, but you will find the the bitter waters of Mara. You will find the 12 wells. You will find the, the 70 palm trees. You find even the cave on Mount Sinai that Elijah hid in years later. Okay? So it's all over there. And, of course, it would be a real big letdown, wouldn't it? I mean, I went with my... wife for our honeymoon to Mount Sinai. I am so sorry that she packed the pictures in a box already. I was going to dig it out and show you a picture of me and Petra on a camel at Mount Sinai. Okay, but imagine it. Young, handsome couple, yeah, on a camel, Mount Sinai in the background. That's the deal. It really was true. We were there and we were happy, happy campers that Mount Sinai, we were at the foot of Mount Sinai. Wow, beautiful mountains, beautiful red. When the sun rises, it's amazing. They look majestic. They really do look like they could have been Mount Sinai. But you know what? The problem here. In the third century, in the third century, monks. Now now you're listening, aren't you? Monks were um, kind of having this wilderness experience. And they would go out into the wilderness to kind of have a Moses experience. And they went out, and then somebody came along and said, You know what? I reckon that is Mount Sinai. And from, it, from then on, the story stuck. And that's why you have a monastery there. Can you see um, how this is been building up to a big kind of financial thing? People travel to Mount Sinai, and they go up the mountain. My wife, how old were you when you went up Mount Sinai? She was 17. And you know what you had to do? You have these excursions where you go up Mount Sinai. You get together in a a group of people and uh, you you get your your packed lunch. You get up early and you you get up. um, You you start climbing at night, three o'clock in in the morning. So you start your climb so that by the time sunrise comes, you're on top of um, that mountain that they say is Mount Sinai there. It's great. But you know, it it was only about I don't know, six months ago, that we started seeing some information about this. And I started researching about this. And I said, well, it's a no-brainer. Mount Sinai is in Midian. End of story. End of story. So now, imagine. Imagine, you see, and, and here's the other thing. Um, that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, um, in the time of the, the war, between Israel and, um, uh, the, I think it was the 30 Days War, there was a time, a window, when, when the, the um, Israelites, the, uh, the, the Jews, could go and research around in Mount Sinai. And so they did that, frantically looking for evidence of the Exodus. And they found none. Again, proving that that's the wrong place. So now, it would be a real letdown, wouldn't it? It would be a real letdown to the, to the world now, to the, to the um, tourist world, to say, you know what, folks, actually, uh, breaks. stop, stop, stop. This isn't Mount Sinai. Sorry, it's over the other side. So you better catch a boat and go over the Gulf of Aqaba. I mean, could you imagine the letdown that would be? Politically, financially? Wow. You mean the real Mount Sinai is over there? Well, they would... It's all um, barbed-wired around. The the mountain is called Jabal Aloz. Jabal means, uh, in Arabic, it means mountain. And there are pictures that I'm saving for another time to show, that reveal, that this story of the Exodus is powerfully true. And if God can do it once, He can do it again, friends. That was just a little detour that we took to realize where Mount Sinai is. And so let's come back to it. God said to Moses, when you go to return to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, back in Exodus chapter 4, which I have put in your hands, but I will harden his heart. We'll get to that. That he shall not let the people go. And verse 22, And you shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. You know, let me tell you, I am jealous and I guard my firstborn. You don't mess with my firstborn. You don't mess with my secondborn. And if I had a thirdborn, you wouldn't mess with that one either. And for those of you that have your, your children, your kids in, in university, maybe public schools and so on, you know, we're in a time in Earth's history where we, we need to be on our knees and even in our own educational institutions, we need to be on our knees because of the influence that the devil is infiltrating with. So I am on my knees for my firstborn, for my secondborn, and if I had a thirdborn, I would be also. Be on your knees for your children, because you know that the the system is such that they are out of our protection, out of out of out of our kind of like a. a, a, a Yeah, like a a brooding mother has her chicks, you know, uh, under her wings. The devil has orchestrated all of this. You know that when when you separate the family, you weaken it. And so now the younger fledgling member of the family is taken away and it is weaker. We need to pray for our children at universities, especially in public ones. This is my firstborn son. I say unto you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, this is what God was telling Moses to tell Pharaoh. You've got to tell him, this is the script, I'm giving it to you. And I was amazed at how often God repeated it. Because it was, it was not easy to convince Moses to do this. You can imagine, right? He's scared stiff. And in fact, I wonder why God just didn't do it himself. He could have done it all himself. Why did he need Moses? Because Moses is a type. And he is prefiguring Jesus. The whole story, as we will get to, um, as we get to the, the Passover, is prefiguring Jesus. And now I want to come back just briefly. Who hardened, who really hardened the III's heart? I, re- I read in here from Spirit of Prophecy, and I read, actually in the Bible, I read, I may be wrong, but I read eight times I read eight times where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I was curious, so I went through counting. But then I found four times where it said that his heart was hardened. Now that is a little different, isn't it? Then I read three times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Now all those times that his heart was getting hardened, was being hardened, was through the various sequence of those plagues, you see? Because he would repent and his heart would get hardened. And so, what, what are we going to do with this? We've got eight texts that say that God hardened his heart. We have four that say that his heart was hardened and we don't quite know how. And then we have three that say his, he hardened his own heart. What are we going to do with those texts? You tell me. Because many people like to jump on the bandwagon and say, Well, it must be, uh, let's see, we've got these texts, so... Um, The one that has the most votes must be the true one, yeah? Or maybe, is there a different way to to understand that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? Is there a way, perhaps, of combining these texts together? When we have um, a story, and there are different texts on that story, but they seem to be saying something slightly different, what do we need to do? First thing we need to do, thank you. First thing we need to do is say, pray and say, Lord, help me understand this. And you know, I've understood this for myself. And it's powerful. It's powerful. You see, here's the thing. Let's let's look at it. I took this out of page uh, 36. And it's probably from Patriarchs and Prophets. Um, Listen to this. The Bible said it in black and white words, didn't it? It said, but I shall harden Pharaoh's heart. But is that really what we get as being the meaning when we read the other texts and when we put the whole, those, all of those texts in the context of the whole story? Because okay? remember, God is giving Pharaoh a chance. He's got 10 plagues and he's knocking them down and they're getting increasingly more dangerous and devastating. There was no exercise of supernatural power to harden the heart of the king. Period. Can you see that? That God did not come along and say, Pharaoh, stop it. Stop trying to let my people go. I want you to not let my people go. There was nothing, none of that. There was no divine intervention. But when you read the text superficially, you could erroneously come to that conclusion. You could say, there it is. I read it. God must be horrible. Look at that. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. What a ridiculous thing. Ha, I don't believe the story. That's what the majority of people do when they come to any kind of difficulty or similar difficulty in the word of God. But I can see that God was serious about trying to give Pharaoh a chance and giving him an opportunity to let his people go. Look at that. God did not do anything supernatural to stop or harden the heart of of the king. God gave to Pharaoh, listen to this, the most striking evidence of divine power. Did you hear that? He showed that God is powerful. You see, remember when Pharaoh first saw Moses and Aaron. I imagine that Pharaoh uh, must have seen Moses and Aaron kind of trembling. Um, They went boldly in the name of God. But when Moses said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. They need to go uh, three days journey in in the wilderness to keep a feast for me, to do a sacrifice for me. What did Pharaoh say? What did he say? What did And this is the story. This is the story about, you know, is, is the story about God or is it about man? It's about God. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now did he kind of have some amnesia or something? Did he really not know the God of the Israelites? Did he not know? Of course he knew. Of course he knew that they had a different God. That's why he was keeping them under wraps. That's why he was keeping them all enslaved, because he didn't want them to get too big for their boots. They were growing too much, and previous pharaohs had tried to stop them from growing by putting them into slavery in bondage like they had. No, he knew about the God, but he said, I am not going to listen to your God. I mean, you come here telling me to let the slaves go. You know what? This is is what I'm going to do. You want to let your people go? Well, here's what I'm going to do. You are going now to carry on making all the bricks, but this time you have no straw. You go find your own straw. Now let's see who's boss around here. And you know what? Moses and Aaron, they left. There was no serpent demonstration here. Pharaoh was in charge. He said, get out my sight. And now that that word came back to the Israelites, and and they were saying, oh, no now we've got to go and get make bricks and we've got no straw oh no pharaoh pharaoh please please listen oh please we'll be good we'll be good slaves please give us some straw please please will you and then they found Moses and Aaron and they said it's all your fault because of you our slavery is harder hang on a minute let's back up a minute are they ready to be delivered or not they are talking about let's stay in slavery and be more comfortable in slavery God's people weren't ready for deliverance. When Aaron and Moses first came with the story of deliverance to the elders and to the Israelites, they said, Wow, great, let's do it. And they bowed down and they worshiped God. Next thing, they got into a difficult time and they start blaming the preacher. When all he was doing was following orders from up up above. You know, that happens a lot. Blaming the preacher. don't be afraid of hearing the preacher that tells you truth from the Word of God did you know I mean just a little personal thing here did you know that when I first came here and stood up before you I still have it a commissioning that gave me the authority by God to point out sin to rebuke it and to encourage you to follow the word and the will of God by God's grace I've only ever intended to do that. And I hope you can see the truth in that. But there are people that blame the preacher for sending people away. Oh, because you're too hard and, and you won't baptize somebody because they've got jewelry. What does God's word say? Oh, because, you know, you're fanatic because you're, you're, you've got this health thing. You know. We need all of these things. Or you talk too much from the spirit of prophecy. God has given this to us. Who are we to say we can start up a church without these things? Be careful. Be very careful. You see, you could be in danger of hardening your own heart and turning away from the truth and and blaming the one that has brought you the truth that you needed personally because it was from God. You see, when Pharaoh hardened his heart, he was on dangerous ground. God gave to Pharaoh the most striking evidence of divine power, but the monarch, who? The monarch stubbornly refused to heed the light. Do you know people that stubbornly refuse to heed the light? On the Sabbath, tithing, spirit prophecy, state of the dead, whatever, you name it stubbornly refused to heed the light. Every display of infinite power rejected by Pharaoh made him the more determined in his rebellion. So here's the thing. If you know something is right and you don't do it, guess what? You hardened your own heart. Look at that. This scared me. It scared me. Because I have seen me, myself, hardening my own heart. Yeah, from personal experience. So I wonder if there's anybody in the same boat that might be in danger of not following the truth that they know and in not doing so, actually harden their own heart, make it easier for sin, and to the point where the sin is no longer sin anymore. And then we have churches trying to to say that anything goes and uh, you've lost it. Friends, I, I need to move on, but this is a powerful thing. The seeds of rebellion that he sowed. Who sowed? He sowed. When he rejected the first miracle, produced their harvest. You see, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. As he continued to venture on in his own course, going from one degree of stubbornness to another, his heart became more and more hardened. Could that happen to people today? Is that really the reason why people are leaving the church? Because they're not following the truth and you know today you can go to different churches and hear what you want to hear from the pulpit that's not what we need we need the Word of God preached so that it can save people it can warn people it can point out sin so that they can be saved from eternal destruction because the Bible tells me the wages of sin is death so if I carry on sinning what can I expect now there is a way out there is a savior and I praise God for this. Now you can read it on but it's, it's really, really important. God speaks to men through his servants giving cautions, warnings and rebuking sin. Who really hardened Pharaoh's heart? The end. Who really hardened Moses' heart? It was himself. Tutmosis the third. You see, God gives each an opportunity to correct his errors before they become fixed in the character. What? Errors become fixed in the character. Wow. Have you seen people do that? Have you seen people slowly just slip away? It's so sad. But if one refuses to be corrected, divine power does not interpose to counteract the tendency of his own action. He finds, in, um, he finds it more easy to repeat the same course. So you, you, you just kind of you know, don't follow once and it's easier to disobey the next time until you, you don't know where you are. A further rejection of light places him where a far stronger influence will be ineffectual. That means no effect. doesn't matter how much Holy Spirit God would use, you hardened your own heart, just as Pharaoh. Friends, we cannot afford to reject light. We cannot afford to reject truth. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with myself. I'm pleading saying, Lord, help me not to harden my heart. How about you? Friends, the Passover was coming and these were the instructions now this was the last plague there were specific instructions which if they were followed and obeyed would save the people would save the firstborn and allow them to escape from Egypt please notice there were specific instructions given by God to be followed By his obedient people. Look at them with me. Exodus chapter 11 verses 4 to 7. And Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight will I go out. God is saying, at midnight I'm going to go out in the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn of the land shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne. Even to the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill. And all the firstborn of the beasts. Now here's the thing. Can you imagine? Just back up a bit. Can you imagine what they had had to do? They had to keep a little lamb, keep it with them for a little while, get get used to him, get to know it, know it, and love it, and then kill it, and then sprinkle blood on the doorposts, uh, uh, the lintel and, and the doorposts, and that was to be obeyed strictly, so that there would be salvation. Now, here's the thing. Do you remember back up a few plagues? Do you remember the plague, plagues about the hail, and or the the um, yes, the hail, the the, the The instructions were given, bring all your animals inside. Don't let any animals outside. Whoever followed that didn't lose their animals. Whoever didn't follow that did lose their animals. Were there Egyptians that brought their animals in and had them saved? Yes or no? Yes, there were. You see, God is merciful. And God says, this is the way. Walk you in it. Do not come up with your own way. It won't work. God has, you see, this whole story, the Passover, is prefiguring Jesus. So that's why it had to be a male lamb. Couldn't be a female lamb. It had to be a male lamb. Why? Because Jesus was a man, he became man for us. All of this is vitally important. It is pre worked out. Don't think that you can figure everything out just by reading it yourself. You cannot find out the mind of God in such a short time. This had a specific reason. This is called. Passover because now God was going to pass over the destroying angel would pass over a house where he would see the blood applied it's the same with us if we have the blood applied personally in our in the hearts and minds of believers then we will not be destroyed let me ask you a question if an Israelite did not put blood with with hyssop that was to signify purification and and cleansing from sin if an Israelite who was God's chosen didn't do that, would they die, yes or no? Absolutely they would. God's giving the same message of salvation to everyone. Doesn't matter who, he loves everybody. He loves you all. And he even loves you when you willingly disobey. He even loves you when you harden your own heart, but he can do nothing more. If you stop coming to church, if you start doing stuff on Sabbath that you know you shouldn't do, who's to blame, God or you? What does God say? Obey me and live. Thank you for that, amen. God's word is powerful. God's word is true. Let me try and wrap up here. Exodus 11, we go and see verse 6 and 7. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. You see, God is saying, I'm demonstrating my most powerful deliverance upon my people at the most in the face of the most stubborn resistance from demonic spirits that represent Satan himself this is what this story of the Exodus is about and it boils down to can God save you and can God save me out of anything this story is saying absolutely categorically yes and guess what the biggest thing he needs to save us from is from ourselves because we do not know our heart. We do not know our own hearts. You know, so many people think, oh, they can trifle with God and with His requirements, tithing and whatever it may be, offering. Do you know, we would have no financial problems if everybody who returned a faithful tithe returned a faithful offering. No financial problems. We'd be laughing all the way around, no, nothing at all. Why don't we do it, folks? Why don't we just obey what God says? Why don't we receive His blessings? Let's get real, you know. Let's stop coming to church and pretending we're believers. Let's really believe and do what He says. He promises a blessing, but against any of the children of Israel, shall not a dog move his tongue against man nor beast, that you may know how that the Lord does put a difference between the Egyptians and the Is- Israel. What is the difference that the Lord puts between Israel and the Egyptians? Do you know what it is? The only difference is is that he will bless those that are obedient and he cannot bless those that are disobedient. Period. And any Egyptian that was obedient received a blessing. In fact, how many of the Egyptians came out because they put the blood on their doorposts and the lintels too? They came out because they did what was required. How much does God, church, languish and wander today the Adventist movement in the wilderness because we're not following the prophet, because we're not following the word of God. We think we're more cleverer than God. We're more cleverer than the established church that God has raised up supernaturally with the promise of a prophet. Oh, my friends, we better get into believing this story now before it's too late, before our heart might get hardened. You know... Let me be honest with you. I think you'd appreciate some honesty from a a preacher, wouldn't you? I cry for people that have gone away from this church. And when I say it from this church, it could be the Advent movement. I've baptized people. And in their baptismal vows, they've said, yes, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And we've all said, amen, amen. Where are they? Where are you? It's time to come back before it's too late. Please. Not because I'm saying it. Because you'll end up like Pharaoh if you don't. And that's not my story. That's his. And then we want to blame the pastor. Let's get real. Like the children of Israel, we're no different. We're no different. You know why, you know why Paul, under inspiration, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that story says, This story was written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. This whole story of the Exodus is a type of the Adventist church now. Did you know that? That is so powerful when you understand that. It's unbelievably powerful because now we can see was there murmuring, was there complaining, was there um, challenging the spiritual leadership? Was there uh, challenging the priesthood? Was there murmuring? Was there complaining against the good leaders back then? Yes. You know what that means? If it was back then, it means it's going to happen now. And in fact, it is. Friends, what that tells me though is that God is patient. Is he patient or what? Is he? He's patient. Look how patient he was with, with Pharaoh. Look how patient he was with his people. I love this story. Because it speaks to me, it tells me so much. And then they were on the borders, just fast forward a little bit. They were on the borders of the promised land. They are about to go in. They sent out, out 12 spies. Did God tell them to send out the 12 spies, yes or no? No, they, he didn't. Absolutely right. But God gave permission because they were wimpy and whingy. And said, oh, let's go and check it out. God said, go forward. They said, oh, let's go and see if it really is true what God wants us to do. We're second guessing God all the time. Who are we? We're doing the same thing as they did. The Bible says we're no better. They were on the borders of the promised land. Only two say, let's go in. The rest of the people, the church members, wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. They were going to stone him. They said, look, if the Lord is for us, let's do it. Let's do what he said. He will do it for us. We don't need to try and do this thing in our own strength. God will do it. Hallelujah. But we have so many of us say, so we can't do it. We can't do it. We don't have any money. We don't have this. We don't have that. If we have God, we have everything. Let us believe it, friends. Let's get real about our faith. I love God. I love his word. I love the story. Gives me hope. But it also tells me that maybe, just maybe, these things are truly applicable to us today. And we have delayed the coming of God. You know, there's some folks say, oh, no, no, you can't delay the coming of God. God has got it planned. He's, you know, in sovereign. He's over everything. We can't, we can't change it. Uh-uh. My Bible says different. My Bible, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is God's word. And it says, they wandered unnecessarily 40 years. It would have only taken them a number of weeks to get into the promised land. But because of their murmurings, because of their complaining, wow, Moses had to struggle with God. God was going to wipe out the whole lot, the whole bunch. And he said, don't, don't God, don't wipe them out. What will the Egyptians say? They say, what a wimpy God, he couldn't even take them out. And now he, dis- he takes them out and then he destroys them all. They were so stubborn, so rebellious, that Moses had to plead with God. God was going to say, I've had it, I've had it with these people. I've had it with them. I'm going to make you, you Moses, you, I'm going to raise you up. And Moses said, no, please don't, God, have mercy on your people. That's a type of Jesus, isn't it? That's Jesus pleading. but they suffered the consequences of their own doings. They wandered until every one of them died, except Joshua and Caleb, 40 years. Did they have to wander 40 years, yes or no? No, why not? Why did they wander? Because of unbelief. Unbelief means, I don't believe what God says, period. So whenever we do something against what God's word says, we are hardening our heart. But I praise God. He can deliver us from even the hardening of our own heart. If we just would apply the blood, surrender our lives to him, say, Jesus, son of God, you bled and died for me. Thank you. I love you. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to please you? I want to do it. I mean, let's face it. This is not easy, this is not easy to get this job finished, is it? In our own strength. I mean look at the disciples. Three three years, three and a half years. The best university, university degree to prepare them for ministry. Best Andrews degree, Jesus was there. Pow. Three and a half years. Teaching them. Let me ask you a quick question. Did they get it? No, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. I wonder, do we get it? Do we really get what God wants us to do as a movement, as a people? He wants us to be the head, not the tail. He wanted God's people there, in the Israelites, to, to, to come out victoriously. And God did bring them out, but they messed up. Friends, God is calling you. He's calling you so that you can be saved. And I love this story. And you know what? I think I'm going to have to stop soon. And this will have to be part two another time. Whew. I love this story, it carries on. This month, Exodus chapter 12. This month shall be to you the beginning of months. Look at that. You've been 400 years in slavery. We forget it. Let's start afresh from now. Let's count time from now. When I take you out of Egypt, let's make time start from now. You know, friends, I wonder if there are a few of us that could do with a fresh start with Jesus today, right now. I wonder. I wonder if there's anybody here that you know has kind of been limping along in their Christianity, in their Advent faith, and is wondering, you know, is this really true church or what? You know, when you think like that, it's because your heart's getting hardened. But maybe, maybe you want to have a fresh start. Maybe God is calling you to have a fresh start in the Advent movement. You know, to reawaken in you that this truly is God's church. He's going to carry it through. It looks like it's going to sink, doesn't it? It really looks bad. Wow, it's it's really listing to to the side now. Really listing bad. And and the icebergs are all over the place. Can we really go through? In our own strength, we don't stand a chance. But for him that opened the Red Sea, not a problem. So the story goes on. And they were to eat the Passover. Passover. Quickly, and God would show them who was in charge. The instructions for the people and any stranger or Egyptian that wanted to be saved were clear. Friends, the same is for you and I. Do you want to be saved? I certainly want to be saved. How about you? The, the firstborn came over and destroyed, and the Exodus began. This is where I probably have to leave it for another time. But all I can share with you right now is that Moses made that journey three times. He escaped from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. So he went from Egypt to where? To Midian. And we know where Midian is. So he's done that journey once. Now God meets him at Mount Sinai, which is over in Midian, right? And Midian is Saudi Arabia. Okay. So then God says, let's go back. And get my people out. And as he brings them out, he comes a second. He, he goes a second time. Now the third time, he comes out with the people. Can you can you imagine the joy, the victory, and the blessing that it was? And then God says, "Turn." And this, I believe, is showing us the real route of the Exodus Red Sea crossing. The Gulf of Aqaba that goes up there. This. Each side is the Red Sea. That Sinai Peninsula, incorrectly called Sinai Peninsula, in the Bible it's called the Wilderness of the Red Sea. Why is it called the Wilderness of the Red Sea? Because it has the Red Sea on either side of it. So the Wilderness of the Red Sea is there and God brings them through that. They're not out of Egypt yet. And he brings them down... He's not going to take them through the familiar route that Moses has already been um, taken twice when he goes over the top of the Gulf of Akaba and comes down into, into Midian to Mount uh, Sinai, to Jabal al God gives specific instructions and says, go turn, turn into the wilderness. And he actually says, turn into the wilderness because the moment that Pharaoh knows that you turn down into the wilderness, this is the word from the word of God. It says, he will know that you are trapped and the land has shut you in. So what that means is that there was a way that you could come down, and there is a mountain range that winds 18 kilometers. It winds 18 kilometers, and you kind of turn down where that little red line is going, and it only has one exit out to the Red Sea. And this is where Moses is leading the people as they escape. But all of a sudden, because Pharaoh's heart is so hard, He's saying, hang on a minute. And, and you know, it, it's interesting just to note, how did Pharaoh get news of where they were and, you know, exactly where they were going? They had spies along the way. This was Egyptian territory still. And th- they were fearful, but now, once they saw, hang on a minute, they're getting into that trap that only ends up at the Red Sea. They send word back, word back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sends now, he's got his 600 chariots, all of his other chariots, every Able bodied man is now set in motion, galloping after the children of Israel. And friends, the children of Israel, what do they do? They look at Moses and say, It's your fault. It's your fault. But the cloud that was leading them lifts up and goes behind them and between them and the approaching um, Egyptian army. And they stay there overnight. And they can't go into, oh, they can't communicate with each other. But the Bible says that they had the, land, the sea before them, the lander shut them in, and Pharaoh's army was behind them. They were trapped. It was an impossible situation. Can you see that route? There is in the Gulf of Aqaba a beach called the Nueva Beach. And you see it now there on the screen. That's a picture. Can you see what a massive sandbank that is? That's nine miles long and three miles wide. And that's where they were. That's where they were trapped. And Pharaoh's army had said, well, we've got them now. (laughs) They're trapped. And this is often what the devil will do to you. Until you turn to Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, you call on him now. Some people, some people actually cried. The Bible actually says some people cried out to the Lord. Amen. They cried out to the Lord. But the majority of the people nearly, nearly lynched Moses and Aaron. It says, Is "This what you did? Is this, is this your idea, Moses, bringing us out this way, t- telling us that God is leading you and we're following you?" Now look at it. Look, it would have been better for us to stay in, in Egypt and died there than to be dying out here in the wilderness, at the sword. But then. As they were all there, Moses turns to God and in his peaceful calm way, Moses said unto the people, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you. Who shall fight for you? Are you? Do you have a battle right now? What is the story telling you? The Lord shall fight for you. And he shall fight for me. The Lord shall fight for you. So long as you obediently follow him. Amen. If you don't obediently follow him, you wouldn't be at the right place at the right time. Now, did it look like it was the right place at the right time? No, it didn't. Scientifically, you know, observing um, with our, um, you know, kind of education, we would say, mm-mm, bad place, bad timing, Moses. That was a, a, a boo-boo. No good. God says, hold your peace. Stop you're fretting stop your whining stop your complaining stop your worrying the Lord shall fight for you and you will hold your peace and the Lord said unto Moses why do you cry unto me speak to the children of Israel that they go forward and I love Ted Wilson's sermon five years ago when he said in similar vein go forward don't get mixed up in following things that aren't from the truth of the word of God. Don't start going and, and following emerging church style of music and of worship. Go forward, even when it seems impossible. Lift up your rod. It's amazing that God wanted Moses to be in this. And Moses, to, to lift up his rod, stretch it out, He said, God said to him, over the sea, divide it. God is telling him to do it. When God chooses a leader, that's a very important leader for him. Amen? Lift up your rod and stretch it out over the sea. Divide it and the children shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Did you know that there is a land ridge that stretches out from this sandbank you can see that erosion has kind of brought this sand can't you it's it you know over over centuries you can see that that would build up there is a land bank under the sea that actually bridges from Piha Hiroth which is the name of that place right there um wadi Watiya is the name of the the winding route that they come through and wadi Watiya actually means entangled Um, Josephus, the historian, says that the ridge of mountains obstructed their flight. And from here, if if we come back, the Gulf of Aqaba is extremely deep, extremely deep, either side. But just where you see that dotted, those dots there, there's a land ridge. And God, I believe, worked a miracle right there and opened the sea there wasn't much depth there sufficient for ships to go through don't be deceived sufficient for ships to go through but it is a gentle incline that goes down and it goes across and it comes over the other side this is where I have to leave the story for now but God is mighty to save he's a great deliverer amen God wants to deliver you my friend he wants to deliver this church do you want to be a part of that deliverance That's what I'm here to invite you to be a part of. Would you accept God's invitation? Will you? Amen. God bless you as we move forward because God has great things to do for his people. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.